Hello, and welcome to episode three of Loving All of You. My name is Melissa Finley, and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. In this third episode, we are going to go ahead and work through or talk about step one. I will try to do two parts for this step specifically. So far, I've introduced the laundry list and the flip side of the laundry list. I have been absent over the past few months because my father and my brother passed away a few months apart, and I've been grieving and working through that on my own with my support system, one of which is Al-Anon. Both my father and my brother were adult children of alcoholics, so my father's father, my grandfather was an alcoholic and actually died drinking and from complications of drinking. My father got sober when I was about eight years old, and my brother was an adult child because of my father. So I'm not going to get into their deaths today. I may in a future episode, but I'm still processing the grief and the shock around their passing. However, it really struck a chord with me in how important it is that I continue this work and share my knowledge and my understanding of the effects of growing up in a dysfunctional family, which includes alcoholism in my case. Um, and, you know, it's different in other people's cases, but just a dysfunctional family. Today, we will talk about step one, which is we admitted we were powerless over the effects of alcoholism or other family dysfunction and that our lives had become unmanageable. So this is the first step, and it is a step that I continue to come back to. It's really kind of the start whenever I get a snag or something is bothering me in my life. I'm going to break this step up into two parts. So the first part is going to be about being powerless over the effects of alcoholism and family dysfunction. And what does that mean to be powerless over it? And just kind of talk through some challenges that might bring. And then the second part is when life becomes unmanageable. So step one requires that we admit that our family is dysfunctional and that the dysfunction affects our thinking and behavior as adults. So it can be as simple as that, admitting our family is dysfunctional and that that dysfunction is affecting our thinking and our behaviors as an adult. But it is often not that simple. So when we admit we're powerless, it is a very difficult thing. It is especially a difficult for an adult child because in many ways, the idea of being powerless goes against everything that we've learned to survive in a chaotic, dysfunctional childhood. Having a sense of power might have provided the only feeling of safety that made sense for us while growing up in this family. Perhaps you would convince yourself that you had power by shutting off your feelings or that it gave you some form of control if you were able to stop doing a certain behavior that would make someone mad or make someone sad and do something that was abusive or hurtful. Convincing yourself that by not talking about the things that were going on in your house, outside of your house was power because it meant that you were loyal to your family and you knew that being loyal to your family created a sense of belonging and belonging meant safety. 
a lot of times in growing up in a dysfunctional home, there is an unspoken code of secrecy. Even the youngest, youngest, youngest child knows that we don't talk about that. No one ever said don't talk about it. They just know we don't talk about it. And if you say something to someone, you'll know right away by the anger that maybe your parents show or siblings show, maybe the cold treatment you get, maybe some insults or other forms of abuse you get because you were, you know, open and honest with someone outside of the family and told some things that were going on in your house that you weren't supposed to tell. Being powerless over the effects of alcoholism can take on a whole new meaning. As a child, there's very little that we can actually control. So think of yourself at three, at five, at seven, at nine. There's very little that you can control. We are left to the mercy of our trusted leaders. I like to call our parents our trusted leaders, okay? With any type of addiction, meaning like food addiction, gambling, sex addiction, alcohol, drugs, control, you know, addiction to being in control, addiction to work, a workaholic, with any kind of addiction, the addict's behaviors and feelings are about themselves directly. And those behaviors, those addiction behaviors affect the way that they themselves make decisions, the way that they prioritize their lives and the way they treat others. So we're just kind of there as children. We have no power over this. And here our parent or parents are making these decisions that are skewed or not healthy because of the effects of this addiction, because the addiction is what's driving their choices or driving their behaviors. As children, we have these beautiful nervous systems set up, okay? And our nervous systems and our minds are set up to survive. We have everything we need to survive. And so we basically are born into the world paying attention to our environment. There's research out there that says that we learn 85 to 90% of our coping skills by the age of six. Now, new research has come out, and they're saying even more so by the age of two. So they're taking that number and they're reducing it to two. And they're saying there's even more that of the coping skills that our brain is developing by the age of two. That's before we're even verbal. Okay. Part of the brain scanning that they're doing and the, you know, some of the updated things that they have access to basically show that the amygdala is your fight flight part of your brain. So your amygdala is at the core of your brain. And that's what we would call like your mammalian brain or your fight flight brain. That part of your brain is developed first. And there's a connection between that part of your brain and your eyes like the strongest connection before the age of two. So if you think about what you're looking around by the age of two, so think about you in your house with whoever was living with you, a mom, dad, grandparents, aunts, brothers, sisters, you know, whomever. And you don't obviously remember at the age of two, but hopefully you have an idea of what was going on in your house before the age of two, who you were living with. And if you don't, I recommend that you find that information out. But think of yourself looking around and trying to figure out what is needed in your environment to keep living. 
Okay. From this like fight, flight, very primitive, very, you know, got to survive part of your brain. As we do this work, I want you to remember that you're an adult now. And although you have an adult life, some of these coping skills that you developed, you are still using as an adult. So when you were four years old, this is just an example, and your dad would yell at your mom whenever you had a big emotion, right? You get really mad, you kind of upset the house, your dad screams. You might observe this happening and think, this is all subconscious, okay? This is all just your nervous system doing its job. When I cry or get loud, dad yells, so I'm not going to cry and everything's going to be safer. Good, okay. So you just use some very important skills to figure something out, how to survive. The problem is that, as we know now, dad yelling at mom is not consistent, nor does it follow a pattern of what a four-year-old or two-year-old might figure out. So the next time dad yells at mom, you, at that age of, let's say, four, feel like you're not safe and you try to figure out what happened now. And how can you control that environment to stay safe? What do you need to do different to make everything feel safer? So this might be dissociating, shutting off your feelings. This could be running away, maybe eating, maybe wanting food to put in your mouth while you're nervous, any of those things. Then when you're in your adult life and someone's yelling at someone else, all of a sudden you feel guilt and shame and maybe fear. You might even think about what you need to do to help that person that's mad or how you can do something different so that that person won't get mad again. You might try to figure out what did I do wrong, even if you had nothing to do with it. Okay. This is an example of the effect of how that family dysfunction affects you and how you are powerless over it. Another thing to keep in mind when you are remembering things from your adult self is maybe when you have a memory that comes up when you were six, you might go like, oh, that's so silly though. Nothing, that wasn't that big of a deal. I should have never been upset about that. This form of minimizing is one of the biggest reasons why I think most of the clients that come into my office that say like, no, everything was great at childhood. And then we start breaking things down. I think we minimize things as adults because we're looking at it from our adult brain onto our child self. So for instance, let's say your mom wouldn't let you go outside to play with the kids because after 6 p.m. she didn't like you to go out and you got really sad. And now you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. Of course, my mom didn't want me to go out. That wasn't that bad. I want you to try to rephrase that thinking around it. So I want you to think of the age you were when you wanted to go out and play. I want you to think of the feelings you were having around it. Really big feelings of maybe why do other kids get to play? Why don't I get to play? I really want to play. My friends are going to have fun without me. I'm left out. They talk about it in the morning. And then what support did you get or lack of support did you get when you had those feelings? Maybe the next day when your friends were talking about it and you were left out, Then you go through your school day and you feel like you already have needs that weren't met. Then I want you to empathize with that little you. So instead of looking at it through your adult lens, I want you to really try to empathize with that six-year-old you. Recognize that perhaps you were told to quit your whining 
or that you're being a pain in the butt. Why do you keep asking to go out again? I want you to empathize with that little you. Let her know or let him know how important they are. Give them a little hug. Maybe close your eyes. And remember that you are powerless over the effects of a dysfunctional family system. At that time, your parents did not know how to comfort you. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they were busy doing their own thing. You had no power over that then. And the way it left an impression on your self-esteem or self-compassion, you're powerless over. You are powerless over how it affects your life today. The disease of alcoholism, the disease of codependency, the dysfunction is generational. So that means that the traits and thoughts that you have at this moment could have been passed down from generations before. Keep in mind that without healing, the effects of addiction, food, alcohol, drugs, gambling, work, it can be passed down for two generations. So that was researched. I believe it's even more. So if your great grandmother was an alcoholic, your father's father exhibits those coping traits, even if he never picked up a drink. That's why this work is so wonderful as a step of self-love. As a first step action item, what I want you to do is create a family history diagram. I'm going to include a copy of the layout of it in the show notes. Go back as far as you can and list out the traits you know about your family. I like to think about rageaholics. So did you have a grandparent that just got really angry and yelled and screamed all night long? Was there a trauma that happened to perhaps a great grandparent? Were grandparents or great-grandparents involved in a war? Were there alcoholics? A lot of times people say, well, the family doesn't talk about it, but I've heard stories and it sounds like he drank a lot or, you know, that's oftentimes, especially for our grandparents and great-grandparents, right? They weren't open about that. You know, the alcoholic especially was treated like a madman, right, back then. So it was kept secret. This will, if you write down everything you know about the history, It'll give you insight into kind of like an evolution of your coping skills, right? So if you have children, this will begin to shift your own awareness on your own parenting skills. But the first step is to heal your own inner child. So I want to welcome you to this journey. The first step is very exciting. Again, it's one that I continually come back to. I'm very proud of you for being here and listening this work is hard, but it is worth it because you are worth it. As a closing note, as you think of the dysfunctional family and stepping into a powerlessness of how growing up in a dysfunctional family has affected you, I'd like you to remember a popular Al-Anon phrase. I didn't cause it. I cannot cure it. And I cannot change it. The only thing you can change is yourself and nothing changes if nothing changes, right? Thank you for being here and I look forward to our next episode.